Ephesians chapter 4. We're looking at the first six verses. Slowly and surely. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Father, we come today to hear you. Lord, you have... uh, Yes, Lord, you have moved heavy on my heart. Father, I pray that you will give me clarity to speak. But Father, your spirit already goes before me to touch my brothers and my sisters. Father, help us in the light of the danger that is around us. Help us in Christ's name. Amen. Last week we looked at the prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we also looked and seen that the Apostle Paul was a beggar. He begged people for different things. Here he is begging that we walk worthy. What he is trying to get you and I, as he was the church in Ephesus, to do is, in light of what you understand about God, walk in the power of that position. I shared with you that there was a a funeral here yesterday uh, with a person that I have known for a long time. And as I was standing and I was looking, I I stood over by the door and I was kind of looking at the crowd that was here. It dawned on me that the bulk of the crowd was my age or older. Okay? And it dawned on me that if I look at my parents... There was a large number of people in my parents' generation, probably 90, 95%, who were faithful to a congregation. My generation, that number has dropped to about, probably in the 70 percentile, maybe 80. I look at my kids, uh, Danny, Josh, Tara, Jim. And now that number has dropped to about 60 to 50% are faithful to a congregation. I think about Christine, Nicole. That number's going to go down. Then I look at my uh, grandson and granddaughter. And if it keeps going at the rate that it is going, I doubt of 20% will be faithful to a fellowship. And I know why. The church isn't giving the people what they need. I can go to Disney World for entertainment. I can go to a movie for entertainment. And yet, that's what the church is doing. And when you start speaking of the term of doctrine, 
or theology, people's eyes just glaze over. And it's, it's to me, I, don't, I can't think of anything that hurts me more. People ain't interested. How many people do you see today going to church for what they can get? Let's see, if your theology is correct, you're going to church for what you can give. And, you know, I, I was teaching uh, a couple of years ago, I think it was. I was out at cowboy camp, and that's more of an evangelistic stage. And I made a statement that people will come to me and tell me that they are a Christian. And I said, okay, tell me five things about Jesus Christ. Five. That's all I want. Five things about Jesus Christ. And it was amazing to me, even to this day, people will tell me things about Jesus Christ, but it's not biblical. Now, how are you saved if you can't tell me five things about Jesus Christ? I had a guy who was coming back from dinner after that. He says, I need to talk to you. And I said, all right. And he says, you said to tell me five things about Jesus Christ. I said, yeah. He says, can you? (laughs) I thought, hallelujah. (laughs) How long you got to sit there, brother? And I took off. And it's not because I'm so stinking smart. It's because I read that book. And people ask me, I watch Christians, and some of you, you can tell me everything that I'm supposed to do. But can you tell me who you are in the person of Jesus Christ? Because see, when I got that nailed down, doing is automatic. Let me give you some things about God quickly. I looked and behold, a storm wind was coming from the north. A great cloud with fire flashing forth continually and a bright light around it. And in its midst, something like glowing metal in the midst of a fire. Within it, there were figures reassembling four living beings. And this was their appearance. They had a human form. Each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight and their feet were like that of a calf's hooves. They gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings on the four sides were human hands. As for the faces, the wings of the four of them. Their wings touched one another. Their faces did not turn when they moved. Each went straight forward. As the form of their faces, each had the face of a man. All four had the face of a lion on the right and the face of a bull on the left. All four had the face of an eagle. Each were their faces. Their wings were spread out above. Each of the two were touching another being. 
and two covering their bodies. And each went straight forward. Whenever the Spirit was about to go, they would go without turning as they went. In the midst of the living beings, there was something that looked like burning coals of fire, like torches darting back and forth among the living beings. The fire was bright and lightning was flashing from the fire. The living being ran to and fro like bolts of lightning. Now I looked, the living beings. Behold, there was one wheel on the earth beside the living beings for each of the four of them. The appearance of the wheels and their workmanship was like sparkling barrel. All four of them had the same form. Their appearance and workmanship being as if it were a wheel within a wheel. Whenever they moved, they moved in any of their four directions without turning as they moved. As for the rims, they were lofty and awesome. And the rims of all four of them were full of eyes all around. And whenever the living beings moved, the wheels moved with them. And whenever the living beings rose from the earth, the wheels rose also. Whenever the spirit was about to go, they would go in that direction. And the wheels rose close beside them. For the spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. Whenever they went, these went. Whenever those stood still, these stood still. Whenever those rose from the earth, the wheels rose close behind them, for the spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. Now over the heads of the living beings was something like an expanse, like an awesome gleam of crystal spread out over their heads. Under the expanse, their wings were stretched out straight. One toward the other. Each one had two wings covering its body. On one side and on the other side. I also heard the sound of their wings. Like the sound of abundant waters as they went. Like the voice of the Almighty. A sound of tumult. Like the sound of an army camp. Whenever they stood still, they dropped their wings. And there was a voice that came from above. And the expanse was over their head. And whenever they stood still, they dropped their wings. Now above the expanse that was over their heads, there was something resembling a throne, like the lapis lazuli in appearance. And on that which resembled a throne, high up was a figure with the appearance of a man. That I noticed from the appearance of his loins and upward something like glowing metal that looked like the fire from around it within it. From the appearance of his loins and downward I saw something like fire and there was a radiance around him as the appearance of rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. So was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face. And I heard a voice speaking. 
It's Ezekiel 1. Ezekiel 2, he gets his commission from that man, the Lord. You know what that is? That's theology. Now you go see something like that. What's the problem? But see, that's what's lacking in the body of Christ today. We don't know what that is. Well, I know that I'm not supposed to marry an unbeliever. I know I'm not supposed to steal. I'm trying my best not to covet. But it is a big screen TV. In light of that, really? Well, but I need... Really? You know what's amazing is in chapter 2 of Ezekiel, he sits there and he says, I'm going to send you to a stiff-necked, stubborn, prideful people. A godless people. My people. And by the way, did I tell you, they're not even going to listen to you, but I'm going to send you anyway. You know what Ezekiel said? I'll paraphrase it. Right on, right on, right on. Why? I know what I just saw. Stiff-necked people are easy. I know what I just saw. I know what I just heard. You got it. See how that works? The theology shows up way before the duty does. That's what the Apostle Paul is begging you and me. You have looked, you have looked in chapter one of what Ezekiel saw in chapter one of Ezekiel. How they planned before creation, each and every one of us. See, we must know, then we can do. I can tell when people are doing it and don't know. Because they're miserable. It's a have to. I have to do this. Why? God said so. Hmm. So I told you that when your doctrine grows, your duty will flow. I see too many people out there who are trying to practice Christianity. They don't understand their position. Who are you in Christ? We have to have our theology, and when our theology is intact... Now listen, please understand what I'm saying. This isn't what Terry's theology is. What does this say, and do you know it? Are you rock-solid stable on it? You can't move me off of this. The Word of God over and over and over and over and over and over and over tells us we must know. Because if you look at it, what He tells us is not our nature. If you look at your outline, it's called a lowly walk at a high position. Okay, the characteristics of this walk, how many of these are natural to humanity? Humility. Gentleness, patience, long-suffering love. Is that natural to us? 
And the only way we can ever know that is what does this book say? You go back to Ezekiel 1 and say, well, yeah, there's all kinds of room for my pride in that, isn't there? How boastful can you be when you see this thing, to me, looks like an angelic toad chariot with God on it. That's only moving at the speed of a lightning bolt. Yep, all kind of room for human pride there in there. The renewed spirit of our mind, we put on the new man. And that new man is renewed by the knowledge of the Most High God. Do you remember what the Apostle Paul prayed in chapter 1, verse 17 and 18? And that the Lord, that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what is the riches of the glory of the inheritance for the saints. I look at theology and I've had people ask me that when you study what is the most important book besides the Bible or resource that you use. And I tell everybody, it's prayer. Open my eyes that I may see this. That I may know this. As Adam knew Eve and bore a child. I want it to be intimate in the fabric of my being. What I've learned is is that we cannot do what we don't know. And that is involved in knowing the Word of God. Listen, it is up to you. Each one of us will give an account before a holy Jesus Christ for what we have done in the body. I would urge you, I would beg you, I would beseech each and every one of you to know it. On an intimate basis. Ah, not because your husband knows. Not because your wife knows. Not because your kids know. Because you need to rightly divide truth. Each and every one of us. Listen. I got two points that I want to kind of... Sub points that I want to give here. They're not in your outline, but here. Listen. If you don't know what this is. If you don't know who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can never protect yourself from sin. You have no ability. Why? You don't know what you possess. If you don't know what you possess, what are you going to do? Let me ask you a question. How many lost people have you seen can fight off sin? Huh? And yet I watch Christians who don't know who they are in Christ thinking they're going to defeat sin. Well, you couldn't do that before you got saved. How in the world are you going to do it after you got saved if you don't even know who you are? And you don't know who your God is. David, a man after God's own heart, said this, Your word I have hid in my heart that I may not sin against you. That's preventative. 
preventative. Word of Christ dwelling in you richly. That's what Paul wrote to the Colossians. So let me give you an illustration of this. And it's fascinating. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthians that you have been given Israel as an illustration of what not to do. Interesting concept, don't you think? Israel was set up to say, okay, here's how the human nature reacts. Don't do that. Don't do that. In the book of wisdom, the book of Proverbs, you see this a lot. I'm going to go to Proverbs chapter 7, beginning in verse 5. He says this. Okay, what he's speaking of is outside seduction of the nation of Israel. Okay? Now, what's amazing about this, I mean, you you look and you see it in what we're reading in Numbers, Balak and Balaam. See, Balaam's smart. He's going to God. God's telling him, hey man, don't be messing with this. Right? We've been reading it. It's all good. You know what he does? He seduces her. God says, I don't want you to marry outside of Israel. What does Balaam do? Convinces them to marry foreigners, pretty girls, olive skin, bright eyes. They smell good. They look good. They smile at you. They talk nice to you. Just make you go pitter-patter, pitter-patter, pitter-patter. And God says, I don't want you to do that. And they said, no, 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 no. Pitter-patter, pitter-patter, pitter-patter. Look how wonderful it is to look at. Oh, smell that? Oh, she loves me. I can tell. Let me show you how this works. Verse 5. That they may keep you from an adulteress, from a foreigner who flatters with her words. Read on. For at the window of my house, I look out through my lattice, and I saw among the naive, among the naive. God says, Israel, I have set my wisdom before you. I've given you the prophets. I've shown you how it is. It's right there. But then he says, from among the naive. You know who the naive is? The nation of Israel. You know who the naive is today? The body of Christ. The body of Christ. Listen, we must have wisdom before you can live it. When we don't know what the word is, then I have no defense. If I don't know what the Word says, I cannot walk worthy. If I don't know what the Word is, I cannot glorify God. If I don't know what the Word is, I cannot wear His nature. If I don't know what the Word is, I cannot manifest Christ. If I don't know what the Word is, I cannot function in the church. And if I can't function in the church, guess what? It harms the body of Christ. 
This strange woman, she looks and sees what? Naive and discerned among the youths. A young man, what? Lacking sense. Interesting, huh? Go up and tell somebody that. You seem a little naive and lacking some sense. Do you know that that's the grossest number of the church right now? I see it all the time. Listen, if you're trying to base your walk on an experience or experiences, gosh, that was a blessed time. Oh, man. Just made me have goosebumps. Hairs were standing up on the back of my neck. You know what you just told me? You are naive. But I would never look at you and say, I think you lack sense. Though it would probably cross my mind. You have no discernment. You know why I say that? Thought you would never ask. Read on. Verse 8. Passing through the street near the corner. And he takes the way to her house. I'm just going to go by. I just... I just want to go by and make sure she's safe. Because I know that's God's child. Listen, brothers and sisters, I have heard this over and over and over again. In the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, and in the darkness, behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot, cunning of heart, You know what cunning of heart does to naive? Huh? You ever seen that battle? Cunning of heart versus naive? Hmm. Let you figure that one out. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She is now in the streets, now in the squares. And lurks in every corner. You know what that means? You're outnumbered. You lack sense. You're naive. And you have no idea that you are outnumbered. So she seizes him. And what? Kisses him. And with a brazen face. She says to him. I was due to offer peace offerings today. I have paid my vows. I'm spiritual. Therefore, I've come out to meet you. To seek your presence earnestly. And I have found you. I've spread on my couch with coverings. The colored linens of Egypt. I've sprinkled my bed with myrrh, alloys, and cinnamon. Come. Let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves in caresses. See, I've gone and made peace with God. I worship God. I worship the same God you do. And look, God so blessed my peace offering, we run into each other. Ah, 
How could that be? I've even prepared my home. Come, be with me. We will spend the night. How can that happen? It's easy. Actually, uh, it's easier than I even want to think about. And the reason is, we lack theology. We lack discernment. We lack the ability. This naive, the word naive in the Hebrew means doesn't know. It literally means there's, there's no information. I don't, well, she must be right. She made her peace offering before God. So she's worshiping the same God I am. And she says that, look, God has brought us together on the street corner. And she's already prepared her house because she knew that God was going to bring her somebody. So we might as well go. How many times have I seen the woman be the spiritual leader in the home? What's the difference? I've, some of you have heard me make some comments about people who have left this church who were women. You know why? I pointed it out that they were not supposed to be the spiritual leader in their home. They didn't like that. I, if I had a nickel for every woman to come up to me and said, I am submitted to my husband, I'd be a wealthy man. And because my response is always the same. Does your husband know that? Because if you've got to tell somebody, you know what you got? A problem. Verse 18. Come, let us drink our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves in caresses. The key to this text is verse 22. Suddenly, he follows her as an ox goes to slaughter. Or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool. See... How important your doctrine is. Because you will be swayed by nice talk, nice smells. I don't know about cinnamon in the bed, but whatever. That seems uncomfortable to me. I like cinnamon on my bagels. <laughs> You see what I'm trying to get at? Listen, this is Israel. Who's writing this book? The wisest man to walk the planet. And he's saying, hey, don't be naive. Don't be an idiot. Don't be an ox going to slaughter. Listen, the simple and the void of understanding are defenseless because they don't know. No temptation has seized you except that is common to man. And God has provided a way out in which you may stand. That's theology. That's Corinthians. 
The problem is, you and I get into the temptation. What is it you keep looking at or thinking about? The temptation. What about the part that says He's provided a way out? Why don't I look for the escape hatch? Where's the ejection seat in this thing? See what I'm trying to get at? See, this, this is the negative of not knowing. Not knowing the truth of God. The Ezekiel 1 text. The one where Isaiah says, the, His train of His robe fills the heavens. That one. The one that says, The water fits in the hollow of His hand, and the span of His hand is creation. That one. Knowing the truth of God. And listen, when I say knowing the truth of God, it's not a bunch of factual information. I'm talking in the deepest sense that it controls my actions or my inactions. Have it dwelling you richly that you... I wonder, and I don't need no response on this, but I wonder how many of you have ever honestly said you've experienced the Word of God. I mean, experienced it. Have it just run over your butt. Am I allowed to say that? Stop you dead in your tracks. Or strengthen you for a task that you didn't even see coming. I remember going to a house in Russia. I was exhausted. I hadn't slept on anything that wasn't moving for about 72 hours. And they said, well, you got to preach. Great. I'll be in English. Nobody will know really what I'm saying. So there. I taught out of Revelations, and when I got done, the lady in front of me came up weeping. And she says, I have struggled with that. I had no idea what that meant. And God sent me a man from America to do this to me. That's the lady that gave me the bag of eggs. Here, a bag of eggs. That'll go through customs. That's the word. That's experiencing the word. It wasn't anything I planned. You know, I've set out my criterion. This is what I shall preach every time I have an opportunity as I am through the lands of Russia. Man, I couldn't even think where I was. All I knew is everybody was talking funny. Okay? Experiencing the Word. How many, I wonder. See... When you experience the Word in your life in an intimate fashion, it's you and the book. You and in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. That's experiencing the Word. That is the power that spoke existence into being. And you are an earthen vessel that is all of a sudden used to the glory of He who is the Creator. Having it dwelling in you richly. It enables us to say no to the flesh. Nope, 
Not interested. I can say no to sin. Which one? All of them. But you've got to have the defense. If you ain't got the defense there, you ain't going to be able to do it. And it allows the fallen individual who is in Christ to say yes to righteousness. This is the right thing to do. But there are those who are simple, naive. They are void of understanding. And it is a place of absolute vulnerability. You have, I have seen it. If you've been in the body of Christ long enough, you have seen people who are all excited about Jesus and it's almost like they want a pep rally. Rah, rah, Jesus, yah, rah, rah, Jesus, Jesus, yay, yay, yay. Okay? And then all of a sudden you see them fall. And they get run over. Uh, they leave their wives. They And you know, well, he was in Sunday school and the, the, she was doing this and they were doing that. But you know what? You're telling me is I have no concept of theology. I have no concept of doctrine. So I'm going to hammer this and hammer this and hammer this because what I saw yesterday and understand what I have been witnessing for 30 plus years is that people don't know my God. They have created one in their own image. My Jesus is grace and mercy. My Jesus is wrath and righteousness. And if you don't think sin ain't important, then you tell him that when you look at that cross. Listen, a believer who remains in biblical ignorance is a victim. Is a victim. Must keep the word in the front of our mind, first and foremost. Someone said, and I can't remember who it was, conscience of the deep and rich reality of God's eternal truth, unquote. That should be our conscience. I ain't going to be led away by, she's got cinnamon in her bed. I ain't going to be led away by that. Well, she smells good. That's great. Well, he smells good. I don't care. But look at that physique. So what? Go look at the parents. No. (laughs) You'll see that gravity never stops. And I'll let you ponder that for a while and see if you come up with a conclusion. You can't do it. Okay? So that's the first point. It is my defense mechanism. But I have another one. Okay? There is a danger in knowing. Alright? We must know to defend ourselves. Okay? But, once we know, do you realize... That you are now accountable for what you know? I want you to think about that for a minute. Some of you have been with me for a while. We have been through the first three chapters of Genesis. Daniel. Matthew. Galatians. End Ephesians. First and second Corinthians. First and second Thessalonians. First and second Timothy. Jude, first and second Peter. And the book of Revelations. 
That's what I've taught. And a few other odds and ends. The Upper Room Discourse in John uh, 14 to 17. The Lord's Prayer, John 17. You know, you know, I've taught some other odds and ends. But those are the books that I've taught since I've been in the congregation. Do you know what? Those of you who have heard all of that, guess what? You're responsible for that information now. So, how important is that? I thought you'd never ask. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 21. 20. We'll start in 20. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world, by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Did you get that? How do I escape the defilements of the world? What did I just teach you on? My defense. My defense is what? The knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Okay, but then here's what he says. They are again entangled in them and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. Why? For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it and to turn away from the holy commanded handed to them. Stop right there. Jared Peter just told you? And me? The knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. There ain't a person in this room who doesn't have that right now. You turn away from that. Go back to the defilements of the world. Now, be careful. You will put a regulation on the defilements. I can tell you this one right now. Humanism is a defilement. I can tell you this right now. Greed is a defilement. Materialism is a defilement. You want me to keep going? I can keep going for a while. That's sort of like the five things of Jesus. Those are all defilements. You return to that and the things of this world become more and more important to you. You keep going back to that. It is better off that you would have never known the truth of Jesus Christ. That's what Peter said. Not what I said. Verse 22 says, It has happened to them according to the true Proverbs. A dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow, after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire. There are pleasant pictures there, don't you think? The writer of Hebrews said it's like this. You walk away from this, you trample underfoot of the cross, and guess what? There no longer remains a sacrifice for you. You know what that means? Grace has left the building. You're damned. If you had the knowledge, and you were exposed to the knowledge, you embraced the knowledge, as the writer of Hebrews says, you have tasted it. But you don't drink. Guess what? What more is he going to do? I don't know about you. That should scare the bejesus out of everybody. 
How many people do I know have been raised in the church? How many people do I know have read the Bible, have taught Sunday school class, been involved in VBS, done a mission trip, and live as the world does? Better that you never know than to know and turn away. To go back to the former self after being exposed to it, after seeing the transformed lives around you. You know, I, the, the really smart people said that means it was all head knowledge, not heart knowledge. To know and yet reject. Better to know and respond. If you don't know it, you're not quite as accountable. You still get to go to hell. Don't kid me. I mean, I don't want you to. Well, I didn't know, so. <laughs> no. No, your conscience and sin know each other. It is better to not know it than to know it and not do it. Remember what Jesus told the crowd, count the cost. Guy doesn't build a tower. He doesn't evaluate how much it's going to cost him to build it. That's salvation, brothers and sisters. You ever thought about what the cost is to you? You need to know why. Because you will go to war. The moment you come and say, I want to be a child of the God, you will get assaulted like you have never dreamed of in your life. And you know what the tragedy is? So many that are in that infant stage, they don't know what the Bible says. They ain't never read Ezekiel 1. They ain't never read Jeremiah. They haven't read the last of Job. They haven't read Jesus' prayer in John 17. They haven't read Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3. They don't know what's going on. And their pride jumps up and they think they can do it. The best is to know it. Now I want you to hear how I phrase this. I want you to get these words. It's to know it and rejoice in doing it. Because I can tell the ones who don't know. They're doing it. But it's just really difficult to find the joy. They're just doing it. Why? He told me to. I was supposed to share my faith with people. Why? He told me to. No, man, you should be so jacked up on, I am a child of the Most High God. Did you see that picture of him in the chariot thing or whatever in Ezekiel? And he goes up and he goes down and do how it's old and it moves like lightning bolts. I'm happy to be a part of that family. So let me share with you about my father in heaven and what he did to his son to buy this redeemed nasty piece of flesh. That's rejoicing in doing it. And I'm not an evangelist. <laughs> See the difference? Who is my father? Well, he is the God creator of everything. Well, I thought we evolved. 
You should quit thinking. Evolution is scientifically impossible. So what would you like to try next? I like he spoke and poof, you're here. Listen, each of us should seek to know. That should be our number one driving force. I want to know. I want to know. Because what comes out of knowing is doing. I mean, I can sit around and tell you, I said, show me fruit. Show me fruit. By God, if you ain't doing nothing, I don't think you're saved. That means you're going to hell. Show me fruit. And that, yeah, well, gee, I better go do something. I don't do that. Let me tell you who he is. Let me tell you what he's done. Let me tell you what he's capable of doing. And let me show you what he's going to do in the future. That should be enough to motivate anybody. Listen, if you choose to know and then reject it, then the only gift that you got coming is going to be misery. And it will be misery in a degree you can't understand. You do not know, therefore you do not do. You never know the blessing of God if you don't know. See, the blessing of God is He allows me to do. It's really amazing, actually. I remember preaching on the south steps of the Temple Mount. And when they asked me to teach... You know, I, the Lord brought something to my head, and I was like, wow, man. And so I stepped up, because everybody was on the lower steps, and I stepped up on the steps. And I looked around, and I thought, you have got to be kidding me. I am the world's largest idiot. And you've got me sharing the Bible on the south steps of the Temple Mound? What was you thinking, Lord? And that's exactly what I thought. I said, yeah, you've lost your mind. I would have never planned that. Nor did I ever deserve to do it. Listen, if you know and you do not do it, you will know God's chastening. But obedience, you will constantly know his blessing. And you will experience the living word. That's what I call walking in the heavenlies. That's the only way I can describe it. There are times when I am reading and praying. Uh, and, and, and I just, all I can think is that I, this is like walking in the heavenlies. I am immersed in the Word. I'm immersed in communion. And I just sit there and think, wow. And then somebody calls. <laughs> and, and you shift into flesh for a minute and think, I kill you for getting me out of the heavenlies. <laughs> but I'll do it in love. See, when you learn the truth, you will walk worthy. Remember, that's the call. That's the call of the worthy walk. It's not for the pastor. It's not for the elders. It's not for deacons. It's not for Sunday school teacher. It's for every child of the living high God. Paul is telling us, and guess what? 
Now, every one of you know. First three chapters. Most of you have been through it. And you see how he ended chapter three with what? A prayer. Why? I hope the knuckleheads do it. Let's paraphrase. He prays that we would apply the theology that we've gotten out of the first three chapters. Let it master us. Don't study the Bible to try to teach somebody. Don't try to study the Bible to look at it and say, okay, what should I do now? It's Tuesday. No, let it master you so that you may walk worthy. So no matter where you are, in the front of your brain is the Word of God. Now you are responsible. But note, with the first three chapters, you are now able. What a concept. Walk worthy. Why? It's God's glory. Also, the Apostle Paul is begging. I implore you to walk worthy of this high calling. Now then, this is the standard. All right, please. By the way, this is the only standard. We must know the principles first. We must know the theology. We must know the doctrine. Because after that is the response. How does it look? Read four to six. That's how it looks. Listen, we... Remember when I was teaching on the angels long for wisdom from who? The church. You know who that is, right? That's us. That is us exalted in the heavenlies. So we should live how? Exalted lives. Lofty lives. Take my yoke and learn of me, Jesus said. If you ever knew anything about uh, oxens, when they put the yokes together, they always had an old crusty oxen that was the grand poobah. Okay, and then they would put the young whippersnapper right next to him. Okay, and of course the young whippersnapper, he wants to get the field plowed in about seven seconds. And the ox, the old man ox says, when you get this one done, you got to go do another one. So you should pace yourself, stupid. Okay? But the old man ox, he's got the calluses around his neck. He can hold tight. And he just plods along. One step after the next. And the little one's going, and eventually he says, you know what? I can't make this guy hurry. So I should probably follow his lead. So what does Jesus say? Take my yoke. Okay? Why? And learn of me. It's a high position. But this high position demands a lowly walk. Do you understand why the Apostle Paul prayed at the end of chapter 3 and then begs in the first verse of chapter 1? This call, 
I beg each of you to walk worthy of the information you have. Okay? Let's pray. Father, I come before you. Your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. But Father, I pray that we would gather together and learn of you. We would be overwhelmed by the privilege of who you are. But Father, who we are in you, help us. Father, I look, as you've shown me with the doctrine in the body of Christ. So many think it's boring. Help us, Lord. Help us to immerse ourselves in the person of Jesus Christ theology. And Father, we'd be overwhelmed with the privilege of being children of the Most High God. We've been exalted into the heavenlies. May each of us function in the full power and abilities and resources that you've already given us. We love you, Lord. And we thank you. In Christ's name. Amen.